When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this week I'm excited to be doing something completely different than we normally do. We are doing our first mailbag episode. I got a bunch of great questions, and I'm also excited that I am joined by my editor, producer, Todd Bashong, longtime friend. We've known each other, what, how long? Over 20 years. Yeah, over 20 years. I'm guessing more like 25 at this point. But Todd, thanks for being here and being part of this episode. No, thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's fun to be back on the show. Of course, I was on the show oh, quite a while back where we did a productivity pub crawl episode about remote working and working off site. And obviously, you know, I've been involved editing the show for, you know, a couple of years now and also producing the show, brainstorming about the show. So this is something that we both kind of have been looking forward to and have always said, hey, you know, we should do a mailbag episode because really, you know, coming into 2024, one of the big emphasis is that we want to be thinking about is hearing from listeners and hearing what their needs are and, you know, making the show a real practical productivity tool, you know, for them as it's always meant to be and, and hopefully is. So hopefully people get a, a little bit out of this and it's something that we're going to kind of continue to do, you know quarterly or a little bit more just so that we can hear questions from you and, and feedback from you and uh, the audience. Yeah. And I'm really excited because we got some great questions in. And by the way, if you want to have a say in this show, all you need to do is go to beyond the list.com slash contact. And just right there, you just put your name, your email address, you write a little message. It comes right to my email. That's how we got a bunch of questions. And I'm just really excited to dive in. So let's just jump in. Let's get started. Let's do this. Yeah. So our first question is from Gary Memorillo. And Gary asks, when you're a box checker, quote unquote, how do you stay productive when those boxes require waiting on others for you to check it off? I find myself in this space quite often. It stunts my productivity. Yeah, that is a great question. And I think that's really the kind of the friction of productivity, right? It's that you can do as much as you can do, but you can only do so much and then you're in a waiting pattern and you're waiting to close loops and you can't close them because other people are supposed to be sending you stuff or replying to a question you had. You can't move any further. And so my initial off-the-cuff answer is just to have a list of things, a constant list of things. I know this sounds like the antithesis of productivity to have a constant list of things, but to have a list of things that don't require other people's input. You don't have to wait for anybody else. These can be quick, easy things. I mean, some of them are busy work. I think I remember somebody saying, you know, this is where you go sharpen your pencils. This is where you go make sure that your keyboard and your mouse are charged up and different, you know, you swap out the batteries on certain things. Of course, none of those are fairly productive, though need to be done, but it's busy work. It's it's fine. It's good. 
But um, you want to have a list of those quick, easy things like it's, you know, a monthly or a weekly checklist kind of a thing where it's like, well, it's admin tasks. Basically, jump into your email. One of the things that I do is like I'm waiting on other people. All right, I'm going to make sure that as soon as that comes in, there's not other emails that are sitting there waiting for replies from me. But yeah, it really can be. And I, and I sympathize definitely as a box checker. If you've got that list, it's like a stain, a stubborn stain you can't <laughs> wipe out because you need somebody else's input to be able to finally get it done. The right solvent, if you will. That's what it feels like. And it can be very, I'm not calling Gary neurotic because I empathize completely. I am just the same. Trust me, I empathize. So I think that's it right there. I think the other piece, the flip side is, is, is there a way that you can either set artificial deadlines for them when you ask for things? I know that doesn't cure every instance of this when you're asking questions, but if you're waiting for somebody to give you a report or if you're waiting for certain assets or, you know, insert here what you typically wait on from people have artificial deadlines and or this is going to require you to do a little bit more digging on self-awareness for you, which we'll get to later, the topic of self-awareness, I'm sure, for you as well as them. It's a relationship. How often can you remind them slash repeat, ask them for something without badgering them? And it's different with different people. It's different with you and it's different with them. What's the threshold? Yeah, I know that you and I both really, really struggle with this because we work, you know, in fields where we're constantly waiting on assets from other people to complete tasks. And one of the big things, you know, that I've come to learn is just being consistent about accountability for I'm going to have my things done when I say that they're going to be done. And I expect the same for you. And sometimes having that hard conversation, you know, from time to time of saying, Hey, when it says, in Slack or like within, you know, calendars or whatever that it's due by three o'clock at this time. I need it by that time. If it's not done, because life happens, things come up, you know, yeah. so if it's not done, just follow up with me and let me know. And then that little neuroticism of, okay, well, I know now and I can move on to something else kind of goes away. So I, I suppose that goes for everyone, not only other people who we get a little bit annoyed with waiting on them, but also ourselves being sure like, hey, let's point this question at ourselves of what task am I not checking off or am I not being clear about with my, you know, supervisor or team, like just always boils down to clear lines of communication. Clarity of communication and clarity of expectation. Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. I hope that helps. All right. So question two comes from Katie Brinkley. Katie asks, What's your favorite AI tool to be more productive? I have a favorite AI tool, and you're aware of it as well. And it is called Cast Magic. We'll put the link in the show notes that you can check it out. I think it gives you a discount when you try it out. It's an AI tool designed to basically take any kind of audio or video asset, quickly give you a transcript, and then you can get notes or summaries or highlights or quotes or even suggested social media posts. I mean, if you've done any kind of chat GPT or language learning model type, you insert here and or ask it for something and it gives you something. This is doing that, but with pre-selected audio or video content. And I love it. We use it for the show. It really helps when it comes down to the blank page syndrome. You or someone else already created the thing, the audio or the video, 
But if you're the person that has to then do something with that asset and you don't know where to start and you're like, well, I haven't listened to it yet. I'd kind of like to have a framework before I go into listening or watching it to then promote it or market it or break it down into a teachable thing, whether it's a Zoom call from a meeting or presentation um, of any kind, any of these things, you can throw them all in here. You can even throw a bunch of them in there, group them together in what they call pages and then ask questions as we're now accustomed to, we're over a year now into this whole chat GPT changed everything kind of air quotes thing. You can group them together and, you know, secret here, this is a secret sauce for anybody who's learning to do better podcast interviews or research or not just podcasters, but in general, grab different videos from that person across the web, drop them in. I mean, you can literally drop in a YouTube link and it will grab the video, transcribe it. If I want to have Mr. Beast, so to speak, on, on the show, I could grab some of my favorite videos of his that I want and and then pull them in and then I can ask it questions. Give me questions about his this, that, the other. And it will give me sample questions. Now, am I going to am I going to use those literal questions? No, that's a starting point, though. And that's what I love about it. I mean, I have to just echo everything that Eric said here about this particular tool. I just I love it. I love that it collates all the information really that I need, you know, splits it up into very easy breakdowns. Like Eric said, it'll give you social media posts. It'll give you, you know, notes on something can give you just, you know, a a synopsis or a summary. It is a fantastic tool for conquering that, you know, blank page syndrome, which is something that I suffer from all the time. Let's say that I've edited like four shows in a row and then I've got to go and do show notes, you know, for those. If I can just, you know, take the audio from a show Throw it in and it will get me started of going, okay, you know, here is sort of your basics. Adjust that. It is great. So I think that it's a really practical tool for anybody, you know, that is in any type of creative space, not just podcasting, but anybody, you know, who is creating any type of content or even anybody who's just wanting to condense a lot of content into, you know, one basic easy to use space. So like Eric said, we'll have a link for that if you want to check that out. But uh, yeah, it's it's just a fantastic tool for all kinds of different creative endeavors. One other note, I think, is it's important to note that they've got a really robust Slack community, as well as inside of the site itself. There are a bunch of community prompts. You can see what other people are asking for it to do for their stuff. And then you can say, oh, I love the way that they've worded that and the results they're getting. And you can add that then to your custom prompts. So it's not just in a silo. It's a community type thing. So love it. All right. So the next question, actually, we got two similar questions from Jim Woods and Angie Robinson, both kind of having to do with self-awareness. So Jim asked, I believe one key component of productivity is self-awareness. So how do you intentionally become more self-aware? And Angie, with a similar question, asked, in your opinion, expertise, how does self-awareness play a role in your productivity? So obviously, self-awareness has been kind of a key component of the show lately. We, you know, talked a lot about that. But what does self-awareness or how does self-awareness, you know, factor into productivity and how do we practice becoming more self-aware? Well, one, I think it's kind of ironic that we're talking about becoming self-aware on the heels of an AI tool <laughs> question. Uh, but that said, honestly, I've been asked this so many times when it comes to the origin of this podcast. And 
I remember wanting to not just do a nuts and bolts, just productivity show. I wanted to always have the ethos of the show be that there is a portfolio of things that work for different people that work for some and not others. And I think one of, one of the things that I've noticed over time the most is that it doesn't matter per se which thing it is that you're talking about, whether it's I'm time blocking or I'm getting up early or I'm, you know, insert productivity tip tool, whatever here that it always comes down to what's your actual need? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your pain points? What are your skill sets? that you have. And then that's how you can start to adapt and really grow into or figure out how your skills or needs are different from somebody else's. And even though they're saying, oh, this is my best practice and it works for everyone. No, it works for you and it works for others you've told it to maybe for just a little bit of a time. Right. But self-awareness, I mean, thing is, is like, for, so for example, we've had episodes on the Enneagram we had one in particular and Bogle and it's all about like five or six different it's with Enneagrams in there and then uh, strength finders and a few others. And I think for me, one of the things that was really helpful for me was seeing how my Enneagram lined up with my strength finders because they complemented each other. They were saying the same thing, but from a different angle and they fit together. And by me understanding my Enneagram type and how I approach things, helped me to then know, and for that matter, me knowing what other people's strengths or Enneagram types, whether that's a coworker or a family member, us knowing those things at a deeper level than just, we have to work together, so let's just get along, or that person's a jerk, or I like them, and et cetera. By knowing how you can actually mesh together like gears that really work and stay well-oiled, whether that's your own internal gears only or with others, I mean, that's the importance of self-awareness right there, let alone the fact that then you can take it to a deeper level and really address things that trip you up. Get out of your own way. Stop self-sabotaging yourself. Yeah. And that really links into a lot of what I know your goal is and my goal is, is being more human in 2024. Yes. Like, and, and yes. empathy and understanding and self-awareness, like you said, it's not only just about understanding yourself more, but it's others more and therefore knowing when they react to things. Oh, this is why they react in this way. This is, you know, having an understanding of how they work and, and just being aware of that. So one of the big self-awareness or personal self-awareness things for me is sleep. I am self-aware that I am not getting good sleep. And we got kind of a couple of questions that are related to this. One coming from Ariel Nisenblatt, who asked, I'd like to learn to wake up earlier and follow up to get more done before the day really begins. Also, Stoyan asked, your best tips for a good night's sleep. I know I need to hear this from you because I've <laughs> been struggling. I'm struggling with sleep. I'm sipping on coffee right now trying to stay awake. But uh, yeah, obviously, sleep is such a huge component yeah. of productivity. We've addressed it a lot of times. But what are some of your tips for not only getting a good night's sleep, but quality sleep. Yeah. So I think that I will touch on the waking up early part after talking about good night's sleep, because I think getting the good night's sleep is going to make getting up earlier more possible. And I love Ariel's question because it's, it's very helpful to a lot of people. And honestly, it's one of those things where people hear and say, oh, no, you have to get up early. No, you don't. She's choosing to. And I want to honor that. Stoyan's asking, 
best tips for a good night's sleep? Well, one is you want to get off screens, especially the blue light stuff as early as possible. And we all want to Netflix at night and just kind of coast into bed and hopefully fall asleep. Some of us, I forget what it's called. There is a certain procrastination habit specific towards this, where if we feel like we have less agency or control over our lives, we want to stay up as late as possible and squeeze all the juice. We want to carpe carpe diem the night. Yeah. What's the Latin word for night? We don't want to carpe diem. We want to carpe nightum. I don't know. I don't know it. But if I did, I'd insert it here. If you know, let us know. But anyway, you want to seize the night. And so you want to say, no, I have control. I can stay up as late as I want to. I'm going to do it. Honestly, you're going to have more control over your day if you get better sleep. So you want to have a certain cutoff time. You want to say, like, we have, I'm going to, let's see, if people are playing this out loud, hopefully you're just doing earphones, but voice devices that respond to you, like the A-L-E-X-A or S-I-R-I, there you go. <laughs> um, we have them set up in our house. We want to, I mean, because the thing is, is we forget, oh crap, it's already 930. What the heck? Like, so I've got two alarms set. One that announces it's now eight o'clock. I want to know that it's eight o'clock. And then there's a follow-up that's 8.30. And that's just to have the whole house be aware. It's it's mostly for my son. Let's just mm-hmm. let's just put it out there. He needs to get to bed on time. Yeah. And if we as parents are doing something or in the thick of something, even if we're doing something with him, quality time, we need to remind, we need to be reminded outside of ourselves what time it is so we can, oh, okay, we need to get into our routine. So speaking of evening routines, it's get off screens. It's, uh, you know, do all the hygiene stuff that you need to do. It's maybe get, depending upon time of year, this is where this gets tricky because 8 and 8.30 in the summer, it's not dark till 10 o'clock exactly. where we are. Yeah. So we adjust that, but it is what it is. But evening routines, you got your hygiene. You want to get a cool enough temperature. You want to make sure that you do enough bio break stuff early enough. Some people even say you want to, I think I read this and I, and I've been trying to inch towards this with some success not eating anything for like the last two hours before bed, not drinking anything at a certain point there as well, having that all tied in. If you need to course correct and you've been off so far off your sleep schedule, take some melatonin, Mm -hmm. use it for like two weeks, get that into your system 20, 30 minutes ahead of when you want to lay your head down. Try to get your room as dark as possible. I mentioned 10 o'clock being not dark enough yet. We've got blackout curtains over the bedrooms that we close so that the rooms are dark, things like that. Um, oh, physical activity throughout the day. Yeah. You get your heart rate up during the day. It dips lower during the night. You get much higher quality sleep. That's a no brainer. That's a given. One of the other things I want to pull out is Dr. Michael Bruce, uh, sleep doctor, and he's been on the show a number of times and knowing your chronotype, another self-awareness aspect right there, knowing your chronotype. Whether you're an early riser or a late person, et cetera, there's four different types. I'm not going to go into it right now. I'll refer to that in the show notes to his one or two episodes. Just knowing what your tendency is, because if you're fighting against yourself to get better sleep, then it's going to be a fight, literal. Mm -hmm. So so let's spin it over to getting up early. So the thing is, is if you get good sleep, you'll be able to get up early. But I also want to point out what I just said about chronotype and getting up early. So you kind of want to determine if that's even something you can be. Now, you can force yourself to be a different chronotype. No problem. One of the best ways that I've found in terms of forcing myself, there's kind of two ways you can do this. You can either just say, okay, I'm going to white knuckle brute force it. You know, I'm going to set an alarm that's not next to me in the bed, but I got to actually get up to turn it off loud enough, whatever. 
and set it for as early as you think you need. I would say be careful about getting up too early. Maybe just do an hour or a half hour to start. So instead of brute forcing it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) incremental. Yeah. Set it for a half hour earlier than normal. Do that for a week or two. Then set it for another half hour. Like do it by a half hour increments over, you know, one, one and a half, two week times. And you'll find that's easier to coax in with. I would also say have some sort of reward for yourself when you get up, if it's a coffee or just something. Well, I'd really encourage, you know, if possible, getting exercise first thing in the morning. Like, obviously, seasonally, that can be really tough, you know, when, you know, the weather is tough. But for me, if I can, you know, get out of bed, maybe make my coffee, but then get outside. And even if it's just a walk around the block, but, you know, just getting my energy up a little bit, you know, and getting into the day, that really, really helps a lot. Yeah. And I will even say... (laughs) there's people uh, who've been on the show and said, I'll sleep in my workout clothes because then I jump out of bed and all I have to do is put on my sneakers that are by the bedroom door and I'm out the door. And I don't know that I love going to the gym and something I slept in, but I get the point. And I will say, I echo what you're saying. Getting some movement in first is very helpful. In fact, they say, I think it's Michael Bruce that said it or somebody else, having coffee or caffeine first thing is actually kind of a placebo effect because naturally there's something chemically in your brain that rises as soon as you do. And for the first half hour to 45 minutes to an hour naturally rises and wakes you up anyway. And then you can kick in with the coffee or the caffeine. And then it's actually going to do something. Whereas you're just throwing good money after bad, so to speak, right out of the gate. So it's better to get physical activity, definitely some hydration and water then do work if that's what you're choosing to do. And I totally get what Ariel's asking for here is she wants to get some stuff done before everybody else is trying to throw stuff at her for the day. So very helpful. Yep, for sure. And, you know, again, it does, you know, not to sound like a broken record here, but it does go back to the self-awareness of what does work best for you. Oftentimes, I think people can beat themselves up and be like, well, I need to get up earlier and get things done earlier because that's just what a productive person should be an early riser. If that's not what your chronotype is, if that's not how you operate, that's fine. It's about being aware of that and finding what times of the day are best for you to engage in deep work and what times of the day are best for you to engage in sort of mindless administrative work and what times of the day are best for you to engage in just relaxation and entertainment or just self-care. So it is fine if you are a night person as, you know, one night person to others. Yes. Like night people unite. We are not second class citizens because we don't get up at the crack of dawn and, and get things done. So still searching for a great candidate for your company. Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent. 
fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, so our next question comes from Phil. Phil asks, what do you do when a productivity tool that works for others becomes the organization's productivity tool and now your personal productivity suffers? Oh, Phil, I, I know what you're feeling. I know where you're going here. I've had this happen before. I won't name any tools outright because I don't want to shame. I don't want to tool shame. I think that's, you know what? Hey, trademark. I think nobody's used that moniker before, tool shame. But you heard it here first. That said, it's one of the things people ask me often is like, which productivity tool should I use? And I always say the one that works for you or the one that you'll actually use. The issue here is what if the organization that you're working in or with is using something that does not work for you? So I've had this happen before. And I think really it's all about expectation and knowing what others' expectations of that tool or you using that tool ends up being. Let me kind of explain what I mean here. What I mean is, is that there's probably a baseline, like there's a reason they chose the tool and you may not need to use the tool as much as you think you do. You can probably get away with, and again, I'm saying you've got to, you've got to really do your homework here to figure this out. And again, this is self-awareness on your part slash their part. You've got to figure out clear what communication, clear communication, mm-hmm. clear expectation. Like we said earlier, you need to figure out what expectation they have from you of what you're putting in that system. Once you know that and you know it's non-negotiable, then you know what you have to put in there. Then I would say, go do your own tool. Use your own thing in order to get what you need to get done, done. And I know that's a little vague, but you know what's going to work best for you if you've done your self-awareness homework. Then you can take that thing and metaphorically put it on their table so that they can do whatever it is they need to do with it. Honestly, it's a tough situation to be in. I empathize completely. Often, we don't think about all the questions and aspects of a tool when it gets implemented. You or somebody else weren't brought in. I've been there where the buy-in or the feedback or whatever you want to call it, the ownership, you weren't part of the decision-making process. And they weren't thinking about all the ways that that tendrils of the tool and where it goes into and what it connects to and all that kind of stuff. 
it just often gets overlooked and it's not anybody's fault sometimes either. It's just they weren't aware. And there we go again. It's just that that awareness. And so I would say maybe bring up some of that awareness, maybe say, hey, this doesn't work or this breaks this or whatever. You know your best judgment towards bringing that up. And if you then have done that and can do that, great. And some change happens. Otherwise, I'd say default to what I said earlier, figure out what the bare minimum is they need from you in that system and put it in there, but figure out your own way to get that done and then in there. I'm going to ask you this, Eric, and I know you didn't prep for this, but uh, what are like one or two big no-nos that, you know, bosses or, you know, administrators need to avoid when using productivity tools? I know oftentimes I'll get Slack messages at, you know, terrible hours. Sometimes, you know, they CC'd in on things that I, I'm not a part of. What are just a few tips, you know, for team leaders and for, you know, people that are using these tools to try to avoid? I would say you've got to have a clear expectation. Again, it goes back to that expectation and communication. There has to be boundaries. I mean, I remember working at one workplace and the head of the entire place Led by example, they sent out an email to the entire organization. They said, we're going to start to implement where we don't expect you to be doing emails in the evening. We don't want you to be burning out. We want to be proactive against that. And what they said was, which is why I'm sending this email first thing on a, I think they they did it on a first thing on a Monday morning or something like that. And so everybody got it. In other words, they said, there's a purpose to this. I'm not sending it in the middle of the night. And I'm not sending it then so that I can see who replies to it. I'm sending it during normal hours. And then I will see if you reply to it in off hours. <laughs> this was years ago. So, you know, things have been a little bit different. But I would say having one lead by example, be careful of we've all got this flexing of time going on. And so, yes, sometimes people have to do things during the middle of the day and they have to jump back on and check things. But this is where you use like send it 8 a.m. type things in Gmail or Google or whatever. I would say that's one example. Another is don't shotgun your communication. You need to have a priority, a hierarchy, a limit of what tools are you using. Don't call, text, Facebook message, Skype when it was a thing, (laughs) Slack, email. You need to be consistent because I've had experiences where Messages would come in across all of those. And in my mind, there was a hierarchy of if you're literally calling me on the phone, it's an emergency. You need me immediately. And no, it's just a, hey, you got a sec to chat about an idea. Okay, I get that, but that's not priority. If it's priority for you, capture it all and send it to me in an email and tell me not time sensitive in the subject line. You can see where I'm going. It's it's basically... Your emergency doesn't constitute one on my part and vice versa. Again, it's all about clear communication and setting a standard. There's no easy one answer for this at all. Like, I mean, Slack has been a bane of my existence in certain positions and a blessing and an amazing tool in others. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just really, you know, individualized. And like you said, just having that clear communication. And I know like for my boss and I now, we just know, you know, that you know, if something really needs to be addressed, it's just via text if it's, you know, really, really pressing. Otherwise, all communication just goes through Asana and we just know that. And, you know, it's just 
within our boards, but we know that if it is urgent, that's when it's time to to go to the text. That's been communicated and it's fine. So I just know that now. All right. So moving on here, Ramon asks, when is the right time to know when to delegate a task versus using your own skills and time to achieve it? This is a great question. And I think I'm going to defer to Jay Bear, who's been on a couple of times. He said, basically, you need to be doing what you are uniquely qualified to do. So if nobody else in the organization can do it, then it's yours. That's not to say that if you're spending way too much time doing that thing, you shouldn't train somebody else to then take some of the load off or all of the load off. But there's certain amounts of judgment there that you've got to hold on to in terms of that. How about this? Let me throw this as a real life scenario here that you're not prepared to to answer, which is I knew for a long time it would help me out if I had somebody editing my show. Now, that's not to say I didn't for the first seven, eight plus years learn a lot about podcasting and even my own voice and improving that as I edited my own show and listened back to me and what I said and how I said it and Even as I'm editing, thinking, oh, man, I missed the opportunity for a follow-up question there. I learned a lot. But I also knew it wasn't sustainable. I needed to offload it slash delegate it to somebody else. And once I knew you were capable, not just capable, but trustworthy, because you one, you had the I knew you were a podcast fanatic. You love podcasts. And two, I knew you had an ear for quality and then Three, we'd known each other for a very long time, so there was trust there. Then we worked through the process. And so speak to that a little bit. Like, tell me what that was like. I know what it was like, but tell them. (laughs) Well, I think that, you know, anytime when it comes to delegation, this is going to sound a little bit simplistic, but it's always important for people to realize that it's a, you know, the classic, I do it, we do it together, you do it alone. I think oftentimes when we delegate task, we just say, you know, okay, this is what I need you to do. And I'm just going to offload this on you and please do it. And we don't take the time to do the task together and to be clear about what the expectations are, what the processes are, you know, what some of the, you know, little snags that are going to come up are. And what I loved about starting to edit it for this show is that we were able to do quite a bit together first, where it was like very clear of, okay, here are my processes. Maybe yours will be a little bit different, but here's how I do it, you know, and here are some of the snags and things that you'll, you know, need to expect. Here are the tools that I do. And again, the communication lines were open and the trust was there enough to be able to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. And for a little while, it was rough because, you know, whenever you're taking on a new thing and just be like, I don't know how this thing works. And, you know, or I'm not exactly sure, you know, how you, you know, import this file and actually convert it using this tool or that. So that's really just a long-winded way of saying delegation doesn't mean just offloading like onto somebody. You're still in the process, you know, together till a point where eventually, yes, they, you know, will be able to do whatever on their own. But I just think that it's always important to keep in mind that, you know, if you are delegating somebody to take that time to invest in the process of the delegation, you know, first so that, yes, that might take some time, but in the long run, it's going to save you so much more because they're not going to, you know, continue to come back with questions, et cetera. So. And documentation. Yes. Not just written, but also even video Mm -hmm. where you're screen sharing as you're, I mean, especially if in remote work, when we're 
training people, we're training into the delegation of something to be screen sharing and capturing that and then have that as a resource for the person who, once it's already fully on their plate, they've got a reference. Wait, I forget how we do that and go back into that video. Oh, I remember we did this and then this and then that's how we get this. And so it makes it so much easier. We didn't do that, but that was because we were in person. We were in person and, you know, we're both remote workers who could literally get together, you know, whenever we wanted to go through things. But not everyone has, you know, that luxury. So, so, you know, Ramon, I mean, it is tough knowing when to, to delegate sometimes, you know, it does take time. I think a lot of people struggle because a lot of times delegation for a task, at least for, you know, entrepreneurs or independent contractors means money. Like, you know, it means that, I, you know, I've got to, it's less money that I'm going to make because I need to pay somebody else to do it. But so, it's also wrapped up in your identity mm-hmm. a bit too. It's it's a bit hard to disconnect that thing you do from the thing you are or who you are. Yeah. So I, I think that's a little bit of a struggle too. But again, self-awareness, you yep. keep ringing keep, that yeah, bell. Keeps coming, you know, back to that. So, but uh Definitely, I think, you know, there is a time and a place for delegation. And, you know, in the end, if you do know that uh, your day could work better delegating a task, then I definitely would encourage you to go ahead and, and take that step. All right. So interesting question here from Jim Jonas. Jim asks, Amazon does no maintenance on their conveyor motors. The downtime is too costly, so they just go until they break and then replace them. It is a picture of our disposable culture and model of productivity where time is our most valuable asset. Given that, how do we prioritize maintenance of our human resources, especially as solopreneurs or family businesses where the parts are not replaceable? Well, I would say that time is definitely a valuable asset, but humans much more so. (laughs) I mean, I really think this comes down to humans and burnout and the fact that it can be very hard to see that burnout is happening as it's happening. You typically only feel that it's happened when it's happened, not as it's happening. In other words, you hit rock bottom or you're so close that you're reaching out your hands to stop yourself from slamming into the ground on rock bottom that you're already there. So that's a little bit difficult. And I would say that ultimately then it's all about proactivity when it comes to avoiding burnout. Honestly, it's about things we've already talked about. It's about getting enough sleep. It's about having clear communication and clear expectations and other aspects of self-awareness, like I talked about with the Enneagram and with Strength Finders as an example. It's about knowing that meshing. It's about knowing your team. It's about knowing them because, yes, we've seen all the, you know, the layoffs and downsizing and different things happen. But on an individual basis, if somebody in a specific role is burnt out and then they just quit, you have to spend the time to find another person to either fill in in the meantime, let alone do a search for the right fit for somebody else to fit that role. Again, that's also time that's being spent and you're better off being proactive to avoid that, especially when it comes down to you yourself. If it's a solo thing, you got to be aware of it. This is why you do self-awareness check-ins. This is where journaling, and I don't mean like, oh, I'm going to keep my diary. No, like have a few prompts that you check in with, even if it's once a week or something. It doesn't have to be daily, but just kind of have a check-in with yourself and your team to see where they're at. And I don't just mean on a, hey, how you doing? How's it going? Surfacey way. You have to dig deeper. Yeah. 
And I think Jim specifically is kind of addressing what the responsibility of leadership is in not driving their team to burnout in ways like, you know, and I think that you kind of hit the the nail on the head there with communication. I think that it's imperative that bosses, I think, often know when employees are are approaching burnout, like, or they can see sort of the early warning signs of that. And I think it's just so important, like, to intervene early so that it is not in, you know, um, like emergency, you know, mode. It's not where, you know, they are rock bottom, but to intervene early and say, hey, you know, I see that you might be struggling with this sort of workload. You know, how can I help? What can, you know, I do? What can we adjust to, you know, kind of uh, avoid this? And I know that that can be awkward, like, you know, at times it can be very awkward, I'm sure, within family businesses and it can be awkward with solopreneurs because oftentimes the people that you're working with are close friends like you yes. know so it can be you know tough to call that up but it's important you know to to just establish yeah, that yeah it's so. it's all about that proactive mm-hmm. attention there it's it's that whole thing where it used to be that we'd say you only go to the doctor when you're feeling sick but we've moved past that it's now we go to the emergency room when we're sick we don't even go to the doctor on a regular basis and it's it's, it's getting back to that checking in on yourself and with trusted people that I can ask the right questions and do the right noticing. So, All right. So Amanda Bonner asks, a big challenge I have is not planning enough time to complete tasks. Then when I don't complete them in the time frame I've allocated, I end up falling behind and feeling frustrated. And all that affects my productivity. How do you gauge time needed for tasks? Do you cushion it add a time buffer? Also, do you close off all distractions for maximum productivity? No text, email, social media, etc. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I think the thing here, I'm going to address deciding how long or discerning how long a task will take second. First and foremost, if you're trying to get anything done and you don't have distractions turned off and have buffers and barriers put up, you do not disturb mode, everything, etc. If you don't have what works for you best, Figured out in that way. One, Near Al's Indistractable book is a, a game changer when it comes to that. It'll walk you through all the homework you need to do for yourself when it comes to that. Because if you're trying to sit down and get something done, but your phone is sitting there, I know it's, I don't have the, like the statistic in front of me, but there's a certain percentage of your brain that's thinking about, even if your phone is sitting there and it's flipped over so you can't see the screen, you're wondering if something's come through. So, I often will leave my phone in another room and then go on do not disturb with my watch. And then at that point, only certain people can get through. Like if my wife calls me twice in a row, she knows that's the way she gets through because it's an emergency. There's different setups like that. But I would say you have to, you have to put up the boundaries to keep distraction from happening. Now, aside from that, I would say then deciding or gauging your time that you need for those tasks I tend to think that I personally, let me go with my experience. My experience is that I overestimate the time something's going to take. And because of that overestimation, then I procrastinate on doing anything about it. What I have found is that actually starting the thing and seeing how fast five, 10 minutes of just starting it or getting a few of the easiest parts of whatever that project is like. I don't know. Hey, I need to ask a few different questions of different people. It takes five minutes to ask those emails, send them, get the information back. And now I have a better course of starting already in place. And you've broken the seal. 
you've gotten the motion started. The momentum is there. The other piece that I would say is if you block out an hour, do a Pomodoro method. Pomodoro is the Italian word for tomato. This was all started by a guy in Italy who had a tomato timer as a kitchen timer, and he would turn it for 15 minutes and he would do 15 minutes of work. He said, all I got to do is work on it for 15 minutes and then I can take five minutes of a break. He did that three times in an hour, which I know what you're thinking. Wait, that's only 15 minutes of work separated by five minute breaks. How is he getting more done in that 45 minutes than he is in just an hour of sitting there working? It's because if you're sitting there working and you're feeling the pressure of having to sit there and again, white knuckle it through an hour, your momentum, your attention, your energy are all dropping as you sit there. But if you can do 15 minutes and you can focus for 15 minutes only and then take a five minute break, you refresh, you flip all the switches, you get up. If you're inside, go outside. If you're outside, go inside. If you're sitting, get moving. If you were standing, sit down, etc. Flip all the switches, take that five minutes. Heck, that's actually your excuse right there to pick your phone up for five minutes, five minutes only, and then sit back down, do another 15. You will find you'll get more done. Because here's the thing. It's not necessarily about gauging how long something's going to take. There are so many other variables you're going to run into when you're trying and actually doing the work that you don't know about until you're in the thick of it. But if you can get more laser focused, set aside still that hour, then focus for 45, which is probably more than you've done for the hour. If you try to focus for the hour, you're biting off less, but you're actually digesting it, I guess is the best way I can put it. Yeah. I'm really blessed in so much that my work literally has a start and finish point on it. It is an episode of editing and I can look and say, this is 45 minutes long. All I need to do are 15 minute chunks. I will do 15 minutes. I will walk away from this. You know, I'll go take my dog for a walk, do whatever, come back 15 more minutes, you know, and I know that most tasks aren't that way. You don't know. You can't just sit there and say, well, this is exactly how long it's going to be, but being able to you know, be real about how productive you're going to be, because let's face it, oftentimes we lie to ourselves and we say, I'm going to be so productive. I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. I'm going to just be in focus mode from six until nine and like, you know, and get all this done. It rarely happens that way. So in terms of, yes, adding a buffer, I think that we should always overestimate a little bit of, you know, what time it's going to take to complete a task. So always, you know, Yes, give a little bit of a buffer. But again, you know, it's about breaking that, you know, task up into achievable chunks, you know, and uh, following through with that. On Star Trek, Scotty always, the secret was he told, oh, gosh, I feel like I'm going to nerd out here. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to let myself do it. So Scotty from the old Star Trek was somehow alive in the new Star Trek. And he's talking to Jordy LaForge. If you know if you don't know who any of these people are, don't worry about it. But Scotty says to his predecessor, essentially, I would tell Captain Kirk something was going to take five hours to fix when I knew it was going to take three so that I'd look good doing getting it done sooner. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Yeah. Overestimate because then you'll be pleasantly surprised and rewarded when it's done sooner. And again, it's all about getting that focused laser time and then getting as much done as you can. And then only through experience can you then really gauge the true amount it will take. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so our final question for this mailbag episode comes from Anna Dearman Cormick, and she asks, what productivity strategies have you tried that flat out did not work? 
Well, the the easiest answer that comes to mind is pulling all-nighters. Those just don't work. I'm sorry. And if you've heard any other answer to the questions across this episode, you know why. It's because... If you're older than 25 years old. Sorry. (laughs) Now, I I was stupid and bragged about, like, this isn't literal all-nighter, but kind of is, where I was like, I'm going to go home. Like, I was at college. I was going to go home for July 4th. I was up till almost midnight, and I was, like, doing fireworks, and then said... All right, in the morning, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to pack real quick now. And I started throwing my stuff in the car, and then I just jumped in the car and started driving. It's an eight-hour trip. I took a half-hour nap about an hour in and then just did the rest of it. I am not that young. I cannot do that. And I don't even suggest, other than maybe for the camaraderie and the fun and the memory of it, doing anything like that to current college students. But the all-nighter is stupid. It is you depleting your resources over time and getting nothing done. You cannot write that paper and have it be coherent. I mean, if you're drafting it. But again, if you're at the point of doing an all-nighter, you're in desperation mode probably. Mm. So I think the thing that rubs me wrong about the all-nighter is the thing that rubs me wrong about hustle productivity in general. Like hustle productivity that just says you're going to put your nose to the grindstone and you're just going to work, work, work. And that is how you're going to produce. And I just don't subscribe to that. I don't either. It's always rubbed me the wrong way. I've always thought of it as car salesman like when there wasn't a hustle culture term attached to that ethos. And I know there's people out there that are like, I need a productivity show that's going to just show me how to hustle in the margins. And, you know, I'm going to be up early and I'm going to be working when no one else is because I want to be successful. But the thing is, it's like it's not an us or them thing. It's all about how you do you best and not how they do them. That's not to say like you as listening in on the answers to these questions that we've gone through today aren't learning practical steps in hearing these answers to these real life questions, but you have to adapt them to you. It's about doing what's best for you. There's no silver bullet when it comes to productivity. So the all nighter is one obvious one that sticks out to me. I'm thinking, honestly, there's not really any productivity thing that I'm also jumping to Seinfeld where where you've got Kramer sleeping for like two hours at a time and that's it or something. But that was also crazy and didn't really work. And, it's, you know, he was saying he was from what Leonardo da Vinci or something. It makes me think of fad diets. It's almost fad diet productivity. I would say I've never wanted to try anything that's crazy like that. But I will say. That having a portfolio of things that may have worked at one point for you and coming back to them in a different season of life is great. Because again, it's not just about what works for you versus someone else. It's about what works for you here and now. There are literal seasons of the year and then there are seasons of life. And so for me, example, I know I need more sleep during the time when it's much darker out. We we talked about that earlier where it's like it's dark till about. 8.30 or something in the morning, Mm -hmm. and then it's dark at like 4.59. Yeah, it's like right around. It's like not even 5 o'clock, and it's dark. And so the amount of sun that is out and the way that affects me, and the only way that I really found to counteract that is get more sleep and quality sleep. So I have to adapt to that. And we're in that mode right now, and I'm actually feeling like I'm handling it better-ish than usual. That's good, but that's not how it works year-round. So again, it's about having that awareness and that portfolio of stuff to come back to. So any other thoughts? No, I mean, I think that that's, you know, very, very true. And I think that, like you said, try things. There's nothing wrong with trying, you know, all kinds of different productivity 
hacks or strategies, but go into those always knowing that it's not a silver bullet. Like it is, like you said, just another sort of file like in your portfolio to use, but there is no, no one productivity strategy that works for everyone. And again, works at all seasons. It's about, you know, trying different things. You know, here we are just record on repeat again, but being self-aware of what does work for you. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good question, you know, but uh, I think that that unfortunately, no, there's not one you know, strategy that we can throw under the bus other than maybe that all night. Yeah. But uh, so, man, this was fun. This was I, fun. I, I really like doing this and I cannot wait to do it again. And in fact, we are going to do it again. And so we need more questions. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to head on over to beyondthetodolist.com slash contact. And you can drop your name in, your email address, write a message, leave us your question. And in fact, that's also where you can go if you have like an idea for a topic for a show. You want us to do a deep dive on something or, you know, a past guest or a future guest that you want to suggest. That's also where you can do that, too. But again, beyond the to do list dot com slash contact. And we will store up those questions, get them ready and prompted and ready for a, a brand new episode of Mailbag coming up. Thank you so much for listening. And, and if you found any of this helpful, which I hope you did, if you found any of these questions particularly helpful, do me the favor of sharing this episode out, you know, share it on social, hit share in your podcast player app of choice, wherever you're listening to this and let others know about it. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next, next episode. episode.